Well, our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 is what we're looking at. It's on page 1159 if you're using one of those pew Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 on page 1159. Verse 15. Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that we struggle with a kind of uh, spiritual ADD. We just can't stay focused on you. Our hearts are so quickly distracted after the trinkets of this world. We are so quickly, Lord, uh, distracted by people and by situations, and our minds come off of you, our hearts come off of you. And Lord, we we have this uh, impulse toward idolatry in our hearts, We want to make idols out of our work, out of our possessions, out of our dreams, out of relationships. And so, God, we just confess this morning that we are truly a broken and sinful people, that there's none of us here who could ever stand before you in our own righteousness. There's none of us here who could be worthy of heaven on our own merits. Instead, Lord, we stand here before you this morning in the robes of righteousness provided by Jesus Christ that it's only in his righteousness and through his blood that we can come into your presence. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us so that we could come close to the Father. And so, Lord, we come into your presence now asking that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you that you have spoken and that when you spoke to us, you did not speak words of wrath and judgment. Instead, you spoke words of love and mercy. And, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we pray that we might hear your word clearly. God, I pray for those in the church this morning who are struggling. We all come in here smiling and acting nice, Lord, but some of us are on the verge of tears. We have heaviness in our hearts because of conflict, because of loss, because of uncertainty. God, I pray that you would comfort those who are struggling this morning, that through your word they would hear your voice speaking tenderly to them, not the words of any preacher, but the words of Jesus Christ. God, we pray for other churches, other brothers and sisters who are gathering to worship this morning. Lord, would you bless them richly, Would the name of Jesus Christ be lifted up this morning at North River Community Church, Community Baptist in Weymouth that's celebrating its 10th anniversary today. Lord, First Baptist in Weymouth, Coastal Christian Fellowship, Calvary Chapel. Lord, we could list more and more churches. We pray, pour out your spirit on brothers and sisters in Christ this morning who are worshiping your name. Lord, make us one, as we just sang. Our hearts are grieved at the brokenness in churches. And Lord, we pray, by your spirit, do a miracle knit us together in some way. And now, Lord, as we open up your word, we pray, speak to our hearts, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the question for this morning is, who's in charge around here anyway? Who's in charge? Who's the boss? Take me to your leader, as they say. Who's in charge of the church? It's an important question, because how a church answers that question can make or break the church. If the pastor says, I'm the pastor. I'm in charge, you know. Get in line. 
says, senior pastor on the door, go check it out. Senior pastor. So, you know, I'm the boss. If a church answers the question that way, it's in big trouble. Or if a church says, or the elders say, no, 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 pastor, we're the elders. You work for us. We are in charge of the church. Get in line. That's a problem for the church, too. Or the congregation says, no, 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 no. Look, pastor, we hired you. And elders, we voted for you. We are in charge, and you will submit to us. Well, then there's a big problem, too. Who is in charge of the church anyway? Who is the one who calls the shots? Who is the one who's ultimately the authority in the church? The biblical answer to that question is Jesus Christ. The biblical answer to that question is that Christ alone is the head of the church, not any pastor, not any pope, not any elder board, not any congregational meeting. Christ is the head of his church. And when a church honors Christ as the head, when a church submits to Christ as the head of the church and reveres him, church happens the right way. It it just functions correctly. It, it, It works. When the church submits to Christ, then verse 21 of Ephesians 5 comes into being. You see Ephesians 5, 21? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we revere Christ as the head of his church, we find that we're able to yield to one another. We find that the kind of power-trippy conflicts that plague churches throughout the ages just seem to, to go away because we're able to yield to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's the main idea of this text. Let's break it down, though. Let's dig a little bit deeper and rummage around in this verse. First of all, let's look at that word submit. Boy, that's a popular word, isn't it? Submit, huh? Uh, We don't really use that word today. In fact, I had a funny conversation. A a mother came up to me this week and said she was talking to her 13-year-old son, and she, she said, do you know what the word submit means? I have no idea what the context of that conversation was, but I assume it wasn't, you can imagine. So she, she says, you know, what does the word submit mean? He says, oh yeah, I know what it means. It's when you order something online and you place your order, you hit the submit button, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Now, I was told when I was getting permission to tell this story, I was told that uh, the 13-year-old did in fact know what the word submit meant. Right. So, I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, because I was told I had to say that, and I'm sure he really did know. But, you know, submission really is kind of a strange idea. It's one that doesn't fit in the modern world. In, in America, where we have emphasized, or maybe I should even say idolized, personal freedom, in America, we worship individual expression. We worship personal autonomy. I mean, you're supposed to question authority. This is America. And so the idea of submitting, it's just does not fit with the American consciousness in our culture. And yet that's what the text says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Greek word submit is hupotasso. There you go. Go home and impress your friends with that. Hupotasso. And really it means to, to place under authority. Uh, hupa is a Greek preposition which means under. And tasso means, it's from a word group meaning to arrange or to, to bring in order. So it literally means to order under, to put something under something else. Isn't it that also kind of the etymology of the English word submit, sub, and then mit, like transmit, to, to send under? So the basic idea of, of hupotasso is um, order. It's taking something and putting it in its proper place 
underneath the authority of something else. <clears throat> it's hierarchy. I know, that's the H word, right? We don't say that in America, hierarchy. This is what it's talking about. It's the basic idea. It's, it's a hierarchy of, of order of authority in which something is put underneath something else. Just to give you some examples of Hupatasso in the New Testament, uh, take out your sermon notes for a minute, which is this little insert in your bulletin. Look at the first verse there, Romans 8, 7. It says, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So there's God's law, but the sinful mind says, I will not obey, I will not place myself under the authority of that law. I will not do what it says. It's the idea of submitting to an authority. Or look uh, two down, Romans 13, 1. It says, everyone must submit, same word, himself, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So the idea is there are governments, governments that have been put in charge, and as Christians we have a duty to honor those governments, so far as we do not dishonor Christ. Or then Ephesians 1.21, God placed, again the word is hupotasso, God subjected all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Titus 2.9, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Hebrews 13.17, talking about authority in the local church. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. That's a great idea. I like that. Obey them so their work will be a joy, not a burden. Please. For that would be of no advantage to you. So the basic idea of submission, of hupotasso, is, is to place something underneath the authority of something else. The basic uh, idea that Paul's communicating here is that spirit-filled Christians are willing to yield and submit to proper authorities. That when the question comes, who's in charge around here, Spirit-filled Christians are willing to say, you, and not have to say, me. When I act in my flesh, when I act in my sinful nature, when I act like Jeremy, who Jeremy truly is deep down in his heart, I want to answer the question, who's in charge around here, by saying, me, I'm in charge, my way. Yes, there's lots of ways of doing things, but my way is most likely the best, so let's do it my way. And I want to run the show. I mean, it's just my human nature. I confess it. But when I'm filled up with the Holy Spirit, when Christ's Holy Spirit is the one who's filling me and guiding me, I'm suddenly able to say, no, 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 you. And I'm willing to yield and to follow the leadership and to put myself at the service of others. It's one of the marks of a spirit-filled Christian. <clears throat> so what does this look like in real life? I mean, practically speaking, how does this work out? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How does this work out in the life of a church how do Christians submit to one another? Well, one answer to that question is, I mean, the obvious one, is that if there are authorities in the church or among Christians, that Christians should honor those authorities. I mean, that's the most obvious application. That if there is someone in authority among Christians, that we as Christians recognize that to the degree to which there is an authority. And so, for instance, I think uh, church leadership is one of those examples. In fact, look at your sermon notes again. We saw Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. 
They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work would be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So God has placed in, in the local church positions of authority and leadership. Uh, we call them elders and pastors. I think that's the biblical terminology. Some places call them a vestry or a council. But the basic idea is there are some whom God has called to lead the church. Yes, Christ is in charge of the church, but he has under shepherds to serve. And I think that one of the applications is, is that the body of Christ should submit to and follow the leadership of those whom God has placed in charge of the church. It's not my opinion. It's here in Scripture. But now here's an interesting thought. <clears throat> Doesn't it say in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Isn't that interesting? So now how does that fit? If there are leaders whom God has appointed in a church, how do they submit to those whom they lead? How does that, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? In fact, that phrase, submit to one another, is almost, it almost sounds contradictory. We don't want to say it's contradictory because I know that God's word doesn't contradict itself, but it almost is. Submit is a vertical kind of hierarchical word, and to one another is a horizontal, mutual, symmetrical kind of word. So how does that work? How does it work practically speaking? How do those who are called to lead the church submit to, put themselves under those whom they are leading it? It seems kind of muddled. Well, there's an interesting text that really, I think, just captures this tension. Put a bookmark here in Ephesians 5 and turn over to 1 Peter 5. Go from Ephesians 5 to 1 Peter 5. If you're unfamiliar with 1 Peter in the New Testament, it's on page 1203. Let me put a bookmark here myself. 1 Peter 5. We'll look at verse 1 there. This is a, a passage in which Peter writes to elders. He says, To the elders among you, verse 1, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. So God has appointed as shepherds in the church, elders. And, and a shepherding is a leadership role. It's an authority role. There are sheep under the care. They serve as overseers. These are authority kind of words. But then, get this. Serving not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money. Here we go. But eager to serve. That's a submission word. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. I'm the senior pastor. You will do what I say. No. Not lording it over those who entrust in you, but being examples to the flock, leading by example. And when the chief shepherd appears, aha, there is a chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will not fade away. So you see this whole tension, don't you? That on the one hand, yes, there, is, there are some called to lead, and they should be given a proper authority and respect, and yet that authority is not absolute. It is limited, it is defined, it is delegated from Christ. And in the exercise of that authority, there must be a, a, a gentleness, a humility, a servant attitude, a servant leadership. It's interesting, isn't it? So you've got to hold that together. And in fact, I think it's even illustrated, look in the next verse, verse 5, this is amazing. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. 
So, okay, the young men are, are called to submit to the leadership of the elders. But notice that phrase, in the same way. So, in other words, just like the elders submit, you too need to submit. And I find that interesting because I didn't see anywhere in verses 1 to 4 where the elders are told to submit to the young men. They're called to lead. But there's some sense in which the way in which they lead is a type of submission, I think is what it's saying. Is this kind of making sense? For end of verse 5 really clears it up, I think. All of you, whoever you are in the church, whatever your position is, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So somehow you have to kind of hold this all together. There's a tension here that has to be held and embraced. The tension is, yes, on the one hand, there are authority structures in the local church, and as we'll see in a few weeks, in family, in society. God has placed hierarchies in the church. He's placed order. But at the same time, it doesn't operate in a totalitarian, tyrannical, despotic kind of way. There needs to be a humility. There needs to be a kindness. So that even those who are in positions of leadership are the chief servants. As Pope Gregory the Great said, that the leaders in the church are to be the servants of the servants of God. I like that. The servants of the servants of God. So, so that leadership is exercised in an incredibly humble and servant-other-oriented way. And when that's happening, when, when those who ever lead are, are being humble and serving, and those who are being led follow that kind of leadership, I'm telling you what, the church is like unstoppable. The thing just works amazingly well. Look at the back of your sermon notes again. <clears throat> this is a, a great quote by a guy named Alexander Strzok. He wrote a book called Biblical Eldership, which is the best thing I've ever read on the doctrine of eldership in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. He says, elders are to be servant leaders, not rulers or dictators. God doesn't want his people to be used by petty, self-serving tyrants. Servant elders have chosen a life of service on behalf of others. Like the servant Christ, they sacrifice their time and energy for the good of others. Only elders who are loving, humble servants can genuinely manifest the incomparable life of Jesus Christ to their congregations and a watching world. So we have to hold this together. Yes, there is leadership in the local church. We are to submit to it, but even those who lead are supposed to, in some sense, be humbly serving those whom they lead. Do you see that whole tension? If you just have the, the, the hierarchy side, if you overemphasize that, what you end up with is a cult. That's what a cult is. A cult is when the leaders have so much power that they tell people what they can read, what they can't read, what they can watch, who they associate with, how they spend their time, and how they spend their money. And usually the way they're supposed to spend their money is to send it to those in authority. That's how a cult works. But at the same time, you don't want to sort of go against that to the other extreme of a sort of a hyper town meeting mentality about the church where there is nothing in charge and it's kind of a free-for-all and whoever has the mic and talks loudest wins the day. So somehow you have to hold all this together in a biblical picture of understanding authority and leadership in the local church. So we are to submit to one another. Spirit-filled believers submit to one another. One of the ways we do that is to submit to those authorities constituted by God, one of which is local church leadership. But then going back to Ephesians 5, if you turn back there, I don't want to spill the beans on the next couple weeks, but because we're going to study chapter 5, 22 to 6, 9, and, and that talks about other relationships in which God has established a measure 
of authority structure. Not absolute, but, but a relative measure of authority structure. Wives to husbands, children to parents, and then in chapter 6, verse 5, slaves to masters. And I think, you know, without getting into that, because we're going to study it, I think the key to understanding these verses is, again, to hold that tension. To see that, yes, there are some structures in the family among Christians, but at the same time, it's not a hyper-authoritarianism. It's a servant leadership. But we'll get into that in, in the coming weeks. So that's one way in which we submit to one another. If there are authorities that God has put in place, we submit to those, we honor those and respect those. But I think another way we submit to one another is just by being servants to each other, isn't it? I mean, if you, t- you know, the official authority structures is one thing, but if you take a step back and just look at the whole scope and teaching of Christ in the New Testament, you see that all of us as Christians are called to be servants to one another, whether or not there's an actual official position of elder or parent or whatever. We're all supposed to step back and be each other's servants. This was the teaching of Christ to us. Christ took the teaching and, and our basic instincts about authority, and he just flipped them upside down. He taught something radical. If you look on the front of the sermon notes, Jesus called them together. Look at the bottom. Jesus called them together, that is the disciples, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be the servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or Matthew 23, 11 to 12, The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Mark 9, 35, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve, and he said, Whoever wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. So Christ takes our instinctive approach to power, which is, I want to climb to the top, and he flips it. And he says, you need to go to the bottom if you want to be first in the kingdom of heaven. He calls us to a life of service. So even putting aside the issues of of authority structures that there may be in the church, all of us as Christians should be living a life of service toward one another. We should want to be the slave. We should want to be the one who has the lowest place. See, our instinct is to want to be the chairman of the committee. But Christ calls us to be the secretary of the committee, or even just to say, hey, I don't want any position in the committee. I'll just do the stinky job, whatever it is. My instinct is to say, how do I get on the praise team so I can be up in front of the church where everybody sees me? But Christ says, how about the nursery? Wiping poop off of some baby's bottom. (laughs) Let's be honest. It's not a noble job. (laughs) Well, you're willing to do that instead? To serve somebody so they can come up and worship? I mean, just, y'all get flipped upside down in the body of Christ. It's all inverted. And so those who are the servants are the greatest. And those who want to be the greatest end up being the nothings in the body of Christ. We should be willing to serve each other. This is a growing congregation. You know, it's exciting. There's so many ministries popping up. There's new people coming into the church. I mean, it's happened to me so many times. I go up to someone and I say, hi, how you doing? Are you new to the church? I'm the pastor. They go, well, actually, I've been here about a year. And I mean, this is happening to me, and I'm feeling really guilty because I'm, you know, supposed to know people in the church where I serve. But, but there's just so many people coming, and I can't keep up with it. There's new ministries popping up. It's very exciting. 
But one of the challenges in a growing church is resources. We are strapped for space, man. This place is like busting at the seams. When I first started here as a pastor, most nights this place was occupied by the crickets. You know, there's a couple nights where there were people in the building, but it was like, you know, mostly quiet here. But now, I think every night, I think except Saturday night, there's just stuff happening in the church. And if your ministry wants space in the church, you have to call the church office and figure out what night and what time and what room you can have a block of time because it's just so crazy. So in that kind of environment, it's easy to develop a little fiefdom of a ministry. This is my ministry. This is my group. And we need our time and our space and our resources. It, and it's, it's possible in a growing church to kind of get at each other's throats because we're all fighting for the same resources and space and time. But if we're spirit-filled Christians, we're going to say, no, no, you first. Your ministry first. What would happen if in the mission statement of every ministry in the church, it was explicitly stated that one of the goals of that ministry was to promote and help succeed every other ministry in the church? Wouldn't that be radical? I think that's the kind of idea that we're talking about here. It's willing to see what is good for the most and to be able to submit, to take the servant role toward others in all kinds of circumstances. There's a great story that Joseph Stoll tells. Some of you know Joe Stoll. He's a great preacher out in uh, Chicago. And uh, Joseph Stoll tells a story about an act of radical submission that took place in his father's church many years ago when his father was the pastor. And uh, in his father's church, there was a situation where the church was thinking about buying some land right next to the church. And pretty much the consensus in the church was people wanted to buy the piece of land. There was a small vocal minority over who said, we don't want to buy the piece of land next to the church. And uh, this one guy stood up at the business meeting where they're going to discuss this. And he made this, he was sort of a charismatic leader in the church. And he made this impassioned argument why the church should not buy the piece of land next to it. And so everyone kind of listened to this, you know, pretty, pretty strong case being made and pretty impassioned plea. And then the church took the vote, and the church decided to buy the land anyway. That was the vote of the church. And so this, this vocal minority asked for the microphone again. He stood up and he said, Since this church has decided to buy that piece of land, he said, I will now be the first to contribute money toward the purchase of that piece of land. And as Joe Stoll's father tells a story, he says that decision on the part of that guy to go to submit his way to the body saved that church and really rescued the church from possible divisions and conflict. It's a willingness to put others first, to, to follow others, to yield my way, my ideas to others. So how do we do that? Because <laughs> frankly, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I like it when people follow my way. I have a very difficult time I'm just being honest, yielding my ideas and my opinions to others. And maybe you do too. How do we find this kind of servanthood in our hearts? Where is it? How do we develop a culture within the the body of Christ where pastors and elders want to be the lowest servants of the congregation? How do we develop an attitude in in a growing church where people are willing to yield to one another and help other ministries succeed rather than their own? How do we develop that kind of an atmosphere and um, an ambiance inside the church, a a spiritual attitude of servanthood? 
And the answer is right here in our text. Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is only when the church reveres and honors the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, who died on the cross for our sins, it's only when we revere Christ that we will be able to live out this kind of servanthood. It's when I put Christ first, when we put Christ first, that we're going to be liberated to serve each other and not worry about who's in charge because we're all going to be in agreement. Christ is in charge. And servanthood will take place naturally in the body of Christ. There's a passage of Scripture that I think illustrates this better than any other. It's in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's on page 1162. Next book over, right after Ephesians. Philippians 2. Could be argued one of the greatest texts in the New Testament. One of the most magnificent passages in the New Testament ever penned. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there's that idea of taking the servant role. But then here's the motivation. Verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ is the ultimate model of willing submission. And if we revere Christ, we will be willing to follow his example. I mean, who is higher than Christ? Before time began, before the universe came into being, God the Son dwelt with God the Father and God the Spirit. One God in three persons. I can't explain it to you. God the Son dwelt in the, person, in the community of the Trinity. God the Son, Jesus Christ, was Jehovah God, and, and He dwelt in unapproachable light before there was ever a galaxy created, before there was ever an angel created to sing God's praise. The God the Son dwelt in the immensity of divine glory. But in the fullness of time, and in submission to God the Father, God the Son took off those royal robes of divine glory, and He put upon Himself the tattered, dirty rags of humanity. He willingly entered into this life and went to die on a cross, not to make a political statement, but to die for my sins. He who had no sin became sin for me so that I could become His righteousness. He came to die for me, to save me from my sinfulness. That's why Christ came. Think about that submission. He who... Who the heavens can't even hold him. He submitted himself freely to become a little baby, to be held in a manger where animals eat. He who uh, holds all power in his hands allowed himself to become a helpless little child and submitted to his parents. He who is holy, holy, holy allowed himself to take on humanity, to walk among us, to be tempted by the devil, and to die for our sins. 
He whose face shines brighter than a thousand galaxies willingly allowed that face to be spat upon and punched and slapped by his accusers. He whose hands hold together the very fabric of reality allowed those hands to be nailed to a cross. What can we say? He went from the highest peak that could ever be, equality with God, down to the lowest pit one could ever reach, which was to bear the sins of the world. And so when I revere that Christ, who is the ultimate model of submission, how could I ever become a self-absorbed, megalomaniac pastor if I truly revere that Christ? If we truly revere that Christ, how could we fight and jostle and politic and get at each other's throats in the church? If we truly revere that Christ who went from divine glory to the humiliation of the cross, how could we ever, ever do it? And so because Christ is our model, because we revere him as Lord of the church, let us submit to one another. Let us follow his example. Let us willingly take the tiny little jumps of submission, the tiny little puny rolls of submission that we take in this life, considering the great, humble, voluntarily submission that he took in order to save us. But wait, there's more, as they say. Look at Philippians 2.9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My friends, Jesus Christ alone is Lord. There is no other. Every knee is going to bow before Him. Muhammad will bow before Christ. Buddha will bow before Christ. Every king and leader and president will bow before Christ because He alone is Lord. And we bow before Christ willingly. And so is His people who bow before Him, who kneel before Christ. We're going to submit to one another. In fact, I find that when I'm kneeling before Christ, I'm suddenly in a wonderful position to kneel before you. I find that when I'm on my knees before Christ, I have wonderful access to your feet to wash them. That if I can yield to Jesus, I can yield to any human being because He is Lord. And so as a church, let us kneel before Christ. Let us be humbled before him. Let us submit ourselves to his authority. And in doing so, let us be willing to yield to one another. And I'd also just say to anybody here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior and Lord, kneel to Christ. Yield your life to Christ. If you've never become a Christian, Christ is here with his arms open wide to embrace you. All you have to say is, yes, Christ, I'm a sinner. Save me and have mercy on me. And no matter who you are or what your past is, Christ will forgive you and save you. Have you truly bowed your knee before Christ? Maybe you grew up in a church. That's great. But I'm saying, have you personally bowed the knee to Christ and become a Christian as Lord and Master? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we just worship you this morning. We praise you and give you the glory. We confess that your name is above every name. And besides you, there is no name. 
that you alone, Lord Jesus Christ, were crucified, buried, and raised for sinners, that beside you, O Christ, there is no salvation, that you alone are Lord of heaven and earth. And yet, you came to die for me. And so, Christ, I pray, obliterate my pride, destroy my arrogance and my self-righteousness, and cause me to trust alone in your righteousness. Lord Jesus, I pray, make me willing to be the slave of this church. God, I confess it is not in my nature, it is not in my personality, it is not in my temperament. But Lord, I pray, help me to be a true shepherd of this church by being willing to give my life for the sheep. Christ, I need your strength to do that, I confess it. And God, I pray that in this church, Jesus alone would be exalted so that we might just fly at warp speed as a church to do the things you want us to do. And God, I finally pray for anyone here who's never given their life to Christ. Maybe they grew up in a church, maybe they grew up in some kind of religious tradition, but it never really went to the heart. God, I pray that this morning they might submit themselves to Christ, that they might bow their knees, perhaps even literally, Lord, right now bow their knees to Christ and ask him to be their Lord and Savior. So, Christ, rule your church and lead us and help us to serve one another. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.